You're tuned in to the thinking out loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you, featuring author, speaker, and minister. Michael Nimmons. I want to welcome you to a brand new March edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. That's right. Uh, it is Women's History Month, and this is our Woman of Influence series. We're excited to be kicking off with State's Attorney from Baltimore City, Marilyn Mosby. Um, I can tell you uh, one woman in particular that... Uh, I've been known to be associated with is our Vice President Kamala Harris, right? Um, This is a woman who I learned of when I was still in law school. Um, She wrote the book Smart on Crime. She was then the San Francisco District Attorney. Um, She then ascended to become the California Attorney General, ultimately the United States Senator, and Fate of his people. It might look like destruction is around the corner and the end is imminent. It might look like the enemy is closing in for the kill. But just remember, God has got the last say. There's no superpower that can surpass his power. There's no leader's statue bigger than he is. There's no country's wealth greater than he is. There's no government's might stronger than he is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and indeed the Omega. He is the great I Am. He's the stone hewn out of the mountain. He is the way out of no way. He is the wheel in the middle of a wheel. He was Moses' rod. He was David's slingshot. He was Harriet's bulldog tenacity. He was Sojourner's truth. He was Frederick's freedom. He was Martin's king. He's Ukraine's savior. And he is my everything. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And I'm your host, author, motivational speaker, and minister, Michael Nimmons. You're tuned in to the show that's giving voice to issues that matter to you. want to welcome you to a brand new March edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. That's right, guys. We are in the month of March. I can't believe it either. We are just one month away from the end of the first quarter of 2022 but we are here and we're excited about a brand new edition of the thinking out loud radio show 
uh, it is Women's History Month, and this is our Woman of Influence series. We're excited to be kicking off with State's Attorney from Baltimore City, Marilyn Mosby. We're so very excited to be sharing with you an interview we had with her to kick off Women's History Month and our Women of Influence series. Shouts out to her. If she's listening, we want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to spend it with us right here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And to those of you who are listening under the sound of my voice, we want to thank you for tuning in to the Women of Influence series for this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And yes, this is the month of March, guys. In addition to it being Women History Month, and we'll be celebrating it all month, we've got interviews lined up that we're going to be sharing with you with some very influential women throughout the month of March. It is also March Madness. That's right, guys. And you know me. I am a huge sports fan uh, and excited about March Madness that is coming up, the different tournaments uh, in the different um uh, divisions uh, and conferences, I should say, the different conference tournaments. And then you have the NCAA tournament that will be taking place in March as well. Uh, you know, of course, I bleed green and white. I am a Michigan State Spartan through and through. Uh, but unfortunately, my team this 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 season has been playing um, very sporadically. Uh, they're, you know, losing games here and there. And so we're just really don't think uh, we don't have a lot of high hopes for my Michigan State Spartans unfortunately but uh, we're going to keep our fingers crossed and of course we'll be supporting them uh, as they move into the Big Ten tournament and of course into the NCAA tournament but we don't expect them to go uh, that far but again that is the magic of the tournament you just don't know how things are going to shake out sometimes teams get hot during the tournament and uh, you look up and they're in the Sweet 16 and then the Elite 8, the Final 4, and then who knows, they're in the the uh, the championship game. So, things, anything can happen and that's why we love March Madness. Uh, the madness of March. So, guys, yes, we are excited about it and uh, we, we are definitely um, looking forward to those conference tournaments that are coming up very soon as well as the NCAA tournament. Go March Madness. In addition to our interview with State's Attorney from Baltimore City, Marilyn Mosby, we have an awesome thought of the week, a message to the people of Ukraine. And we have been watching with um, our undivided attention, uh, you know, this Ukrainian war that is taking place. And um, it is just very troubling. And uh, we have a message to the Ukrainians in the form of a question. Am I my brother's keeper? A question that was asked by Cain, uh, by God uh, in Genesis as he is uh, questioning the whereabouts of his brother Abel. And we talk about this question and uh, uh, the implications of it in this week's thought of the week. So I can't wait to share this powerful message with you at the end of this week's show. Remember guys to follow us on all of our social media at TOL Radio Host MSN and on 
Facebook and our face on our Facebook fan page at Thinking Out Loud HQ. Remember, you can now listen to uh, the 260 something episodes that we have available right from our Facebook fan page, facebook.com forward slash Thinking Out Loud HQ. That's right, guys. As well as, of course, from our own personal ministry website, michaelnemons.com. So feel free to check us out there or anywhere you listen to your podcast. Guys, we are everywhere. We're on Audible. We're now on Amazon Music. Uh, of course, we're on Google Play, uh, Google Podcast now, Apple Podcast, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio. Uh, we're just well, Odyssey. We are a number of different places, and uh, God is just continuing to enlarge our territory as well. So feel free to check us out there, and when you do, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Let someone know what we're doing right here on the Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. And we hope you enjoyed the month of February as we celebrated Black History Month. By highlighting some of our more memorable uh, interviews that we've had over the five years that we've been doing the Thinking Out Loud radio show, we truly appreciate each and every one of the guests that we've had the opportunity to interview. Uh, we appreciate it. We've interviewed uh, every uh, you know a number of different uh, influencers, thought leaders, and creatives. Uh, it's just been um, unbelievable, incredible. I'm just continuing to pinch my. Uh, as we are uh, continuing to network and engage uh, those individuals uh, who we would like to have on the Thinking Out Loud radio show to be a part of this podcast. And if you are interested in being a part of the Thinking Out Loud radio show uh, podcast, uh, send us an email at contact at michaelnemons.com. We would love uh, to connect with you uh, and to share your interview with our listeners right here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. That's contact at michaelnemons.com. We appreciate your support and we look forward to engaging you uh, in the future. Well, guys, we're getting ready to take our first break. When we come back, we're getting right into my interview with Baltimore City State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby. You don't want to go anywhere. You're tuned in to one of the hottest radio shows online. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. Hello, my name is Maya Nimmons, and I want you to listen to my dad, Michael Nimmons, on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Every Tuesday at 8 p.m., available everywhere you listen to your podcast, and now available on the Detroit Praise Network website. You better listen to that little girl, the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Award-winning journalist, Carolyn Clifford. I'll tell you this, uh, growing up and wanting to get into journalism, especially coming from the city Thank of Detroit, you. Oh, wow. I grew up watching Channel 7. I did not watch Channel 4. I did not watch uh, Fox 2, obviously. That was the CBS affiliate when I was a little girl. But growing up in the city, when I turn on Channel 7, you see a lot of black faces on Channel 7, from Diana Lewis to Doris Bisco, Dana Eubanks. Uh, Bill Proctor, Val Clark. I could name all of the people that I would see. So I thought that was just the norm to see African-Americans working in the TV business. But after graduating from Michigan State and starting out in the television business in Lansing, I was the only black face in that newsroom. How difficult it is 
for us to get jobs really across the country. Even to this day, you can pull up any station website and you will see very few African-American uh, faces. So you have to be prepared. So a convention like NABJ is so vital. So I always remember that and I tell other young African-Americans who come into our business, you know, when you're rising, make sure you grab one and bring them right back with you. So you got, we have to train them up. And so that's what NABJ is really all about. Join us each week as we celebrate Women's History Month here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Black to the bone, to the core, to the root. I am to America a very strange fruit. Born from a tree nearly wilted from its traps into a world content with racial labeling and criminal profiles. I search for truths that have been withheld from books produced to tell history. And it's a mystery how they miss me or people like me when our backs were broken from building this country and our hands were calloused from sowing seeds upon which men and women would bleed and still not be freed for another 300 years. I believe some mothers still cry those slaves' tears because fear and anger run deep and get passed down through generations like heirlooms. And in the heirlooms, the stench of discrimination as this nation falls deeper into complacency, denying black beauty and black pride. Black lives really do matter. Here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Refined, rebranded, reinvented, reinvigorated, revived. The new michaelnimmons.com website is finally here. And believe me, it's worth the wait. A state-of-the-art website where you can listen to the Thinking Out Loud radio show podcast, watch Thinking Out Loud TV, read the Thinking Out Loud blog, purchase books and swag, and so much more. Subscribe today and get a free gift on us. Stop by the new michaelnimmons.com. It is sure to be a thought for working experience. What is up, beautiful people? It's your girl, Lex Devine, in the building, kicking it with yours truly, Michael Nimmons, on the Thinking Out Loud radio and TV show. All right, y'all, stay tuned. You're tuned in to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked, keep it locked, keep it locked. Well, we're back, guys, and uh, I'm so very excited to have a very, very special guest with us on this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. You know, it's Women of Influence Month, the month of March, and I couldn't think of a, of a better guest to have with us to kick off the month of March. And, uh, I, I, you know, as we always do, I uh, can't wait to get into this interview with her. But before we do want to give her a proper introduction, uh, she is the uh, 25th uh, state's attorney for Baltimore City. 
And I remember uh, seeing her several times on interviews and thought to myself, you know, it would be great to have this uh, young, powerful attorney, this woman uh, on our uh, program. And I was able to actually secure this interview and so happy again to have her with us. I want you to give a warm thinking out loud radio show welcome to new friend of the show, state's attorney for Baltimore City uh, and woman of influence for Women's History Month, uh, Marilyn Mosby. Welcome to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thank you for having me, Michael. I'm so honored to be here with you and your guests. I know all about this podcast and I was excited to join you and even more honored to come during Women's History Month. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much, Attorney Mosby. I know you said call you Marilyn, but it's just a habit. It's a force of habit. <laughs> it's a habit. <laughs> but uh, and I'll try to I'll try to uh, to 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 be more a little bit more casual as we go throughout. But again, we're so happy to have you on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And our first question right out the gate, uh, as we do with most of our guests, is to really find out a little bit about themselves. And, you know, Attorney Mosby or Marilyn, what inspired you to go into law enforcement and to become a lawyer? So first and foremost, um, I come from a long generation of police officers, believe it Mm -hmm. or not. Um, My grandfather was one of the founding members of the first Black police organization in Massachusetts. So my mother, my father, my grandfather, my uncles, my great uncles, they were all police officers. And so you kind of feel like when you're growing up, like, you know, you're you're protected and shielded. They referred to my house um, growing up in Dorchester as a police house. You know, we would have people always in our house, people, neighbors, kids from down the street, you know, it'd be like, hey, cuz, hey, cuz, hey, cuz. I'm like, who are you? I don't even know you. Right. Um, But you when you grow up in an environment like that, you kind of feel like you're shielded from violence. Um, But just like most people, black people and major municipalities in this country, you're not. And we lived right across the street from my grandmother and my grandparents, very close knit family. My grandfather had seven brothers, one sister, huge family. And my uncle lived right next door. And when I was 14 years old, my cousin who grew up with me like a brother, he lived right next door. He was killed right outside of our, our home mm. in broad daylight when he was mistaken as a neighborhood drug dealer. It's an image that to this very day is very much still branded in my mind because I opened up the door and I seen him laying dead in the streets. If it wasn't for a neighbor who cooperated with police, who testified in court, my family wouldn't receive any sort of justice. Right. And that was my first sort of introduction to the criminal justice system. I had gone to the police station on Friday nights to hang out with my mom when I was bored, but I had never gone into a courtroom. And for the first time, I went into a courtroom where you saw um, black men, numerous black men going in and out in chains and shackles. The individual responsible for my cousin's death was only 17. My cousin with dreams and aspirations, being that first generation college, so he's now going to a grave. I said, what is this system and how do you reform it? And I was upset because it was like there was a, a sense of complacency within the community that, yep, this was just another young black man that was killed in a major municipality. And so that's what espoused my passion to reform the criminal justice system. How could we have gotten to that young man who elected to take my cousin's life before he got to the criminal justice system? And so, and how do we tackle these racial justice issues? Because it clearly looks like it's disproportionately impacting people that look like me. And so I was one of the, 
I was a part of one of the longest standing desegregation programs in the country. I had to wake up an hour. Um, I, I, I was bused an hour out of the inner city of Massachusetts, where when I first started, and you have to wake up at five o'clock in the morning, where when I first started in that school, I was the only black child in the entire school, right? At six years old, imagine getting off a bus and then walking into an environment where you're exposed to socioeconomic and racial disparities within the, in, within the, the educational system. Mm-hmm. And so I had to very early on learn, you know, walking into an environment like that, where you know, you would have stereotypical views of black people because these children who were in this environment, they didn't have any black families in that town. And the only sort of perception that they had uh, about black people came through the negative light of the media and what they referred to us, right? The, the kids on that bus coming from Boston is the Metco kids. And so I had to learn very early on not to take the stereotypical views that they had personally you know, I had to, so when they came up to me, like, you go, girl. I'm like, I don't talk like that. Why are you talking to me like that? Right. So I took on the responsibility of being a positive representation of Black people at, at six. So, you know, co-editor of school newspaper. I was, you know, SGA honors classes, bringing diversity workshops to the school. By the time I graduated, graduated top of my school. I mean, class. By the time I graduated, I was like, okay, I'm done. Right. Uh, I'm only going to I only applied to Spelman, Tuskegee and Hampton. I got a presidential scholarship to Tuskegee. And and that's where I started, you know, my endeavor and my journey to become an attorney. And that is a phenomenal, phenomenal story. You know, as I was listening to you and um, I was thinking about your bio when you said Tuskegee University, um, one of my. Uh, first Black history interviews was with two uh, Tuskegee Airmen. And uh, man, I was blown. I, I, you know, I got chills just talking to them, you know, and and now talking to someone who graduated, you know, uh, with from Tuskegee University, uh, you know, again, kind of, um, you know, really brings everything together, at least for me. And uh, hearing you talk about uh, the criminal justice system and how you wanted to to change it at such a young age and how it influenced you and impacted you throughout your your uh, your life uh, going into college and now you know becoming uh, this the the, the Baltimore uh, City State's Attorney you know I'm sure it's been a long journey. It's definitely been a long journey. I feel like sometimes I'm 70 years old. I've been doing this job for seven years, but I'm like, well, this is a lot. Um, You know, but honestly, when you talk about the Tuskegee Airmen and you think about our ancestors, you know, Black History, we just celebrated Black History Month. I stand on the shoulders of, of giants. Who am I, right, to complain? And you think about the Tuskegee Airmen right. who fought in this country who, who were willing to die for a country that treated them as second-class citizens. Right. And in and, and every aspect, they dehumanized them. Right. And so, you know, who am I to complain? I feel blessed. And I can just tell you that, like, you know, I feel, I feel like God has, has placed me in a position to be able to effectuate change. And who am I not to, to, to follow through on my purpose? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys, I know you are enjoying my interview with Women of Influence, Baltimore City State Attorney uh, Marilyn Mosby. So happy to have her uh, as our featured guest for Women's History Month right here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And, you know, um, I want to talk to you about your job, uh, you know, as I think about uh, what you do as the state's attorney for Baltimore City, I want you to tell our listeners, what do you find to be the hardest part of your job? And then what do you find to be the most fulfilling? So, I mean, from Tuskegee, let me just say, I ended up going to, and I, I ended up going to Boston College Law School. Right. At the time, it was a top 25 law school. And I can tell you that when I applied for law school, I didn't perform as well on my law school entrance examination. And I started to call around to all the schools. I'm like, my, I, I graduated magna cum laude from Tuskegee University. I was, I was part of bioethics. I was the honors president of Pi Sigma Alpha. And I'm like, my law school entrance examination is not indicative of my potential. <laughs> Right. And you right, need to right. meet me. You need to meet me. And so everybody was like, there were a whole bunch of haters. Like that's oh. that's what I've learned. And I think that this was setting me up for something greater, the ultimately the role that I'm in, is that everyone's like, oh, you can't do that. You, you that's not the way things are done. Well, I got an interview to every single one of the law schools that I applied to, and I ultimately got into my first choice, um, which was Boston College Law School. And so, you know, I then went and I did a number of clinicals through that program. I worked in, uh, um, I did a civil litigation clinic. I was served as a criminal defense attorney for a year. I worked for the Suffolk County, Boston, Suffolk County District Attorney's Office. I worked for the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C., the U.S. Attorney's Office in Boston. And because I wanted a well-rounded sort of perspective about this type of work, and I was very committed to this type of work, my colleagues were making $40,000 a summer, and I was volunteering my time, right? I, I wanted, I was impassioned about reforming the criminal justice system. And I tell you all that to say that, you know, um, when I graduated law school, I started my career in, in Baltimore City State's Attorney's Office as a prosecutor, understanding it was taking away from that prosecutors are one of the most important stakeholders in the criminal justice system. They decide who's going to be charged, what they're going to be charged with, what sentence recommendations they're going to make. They make a determination as to whether someone's going to get into the criminal justice system in the first place. And we don't under, we, we seem to underestimate the power and that discretion of a prosecutor to effectuate change. And so when I decided, you know, after I've been in, in, in the state attorney's office for six years and then worked for a Fortune 100 company for three, when I decided I was going to run for state attorney, again, you get the haters, the naysayers. They said I was too young. I was too inexperienced. I couldn't raise enough money that me running for the position would not only interrupt, but destroy my husband's political career. Right. And so. I tell you all of that because it, you can never allow the naysayers and the haters to define your destiny. Only you and God can do that. That's right. And so I ran and I beat an incumbent who outraised me four to one by double digit percentage points. And that's how I became the state's attorney. Now, since I've been in the role, again, it feels like it's been 70 and a half years. <laughs> but that is how I ultimately ascended to the role of, of state's attorney for Baltimore City. Amazing. Amazing. And 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 so. Uh, from what I gather, from what you're saying, you know, of course, the hardest part of your job is dealing with the haters, dealing with the people that, you know, the detractors, the, the critics, you know, everybody's got an opinion, I'm sure. Uh, but then the 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 fulfilling part of your job is, you know, being able 
uh, to to effectuate the change in the criminal justice system that uh, you want to see. And, uh, you know, I think you're you're doing a fabulous job. And uh, again, we're 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 happy to have you on this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. So um, as we continue uh, with the interview with state's attorney, uh, uh, state's attorney for the city of Baltimore City, I should say, you know, as we celebrate Women's History Month and we reflect upon the tremendous contributions and sacrifices that were made by influential black women of history. uh, I want to know from you, uh, Marilyn, who is that black woman that inspires you and pushes you uh, to continue achieving your goals? So there are so many Black women who inspire me. Um, I can tell you uh, one woman in particular that uh, I've been known to be associated with is our Vice President Kamala Harris, right? Um, This is a woman who I learned of when I was still in law school. Um, She wrote the book, Smart on Crime. She was then the San Francisco district attorney. Um, She then ascended to become the California attorney general, ultimately the United States senator, and of course, the vice president of the United States of America. Um, And the one thing that I appreciated about the vice president was that at a time when there was still this philosophy of tough on crime, right? You had this this courageous black woman who was pushing back against that narrative in the way that she could. What you have to understand is that 95 percent of the prosecutors in this country that make decisions about who's going to be charged, what they're going to be charged with, what sentence recommendations they're going to make, whether somebody gets into the criminal justice system in the the first place. Ninety five percent of those prosecutors are white. Seventy nine percent are white men. And as a woman of color today, today, not in. 2000, not 2005, 2004, right? Today, I represent 1% of all elected prosecutors in the country. Imagine what it was for Vice President Kamala Harris when she was a district attorney in San Francisco. She created a program. She wrote the book, Smart on Crime. um, And she took a more holistic approach to crime and resolving crime. And she created a program called Back on Track. I actually have a program that I started in my my office um, that's modeled after the Back on Track program. It's called Aim to Be More. It's for first-time felony drug offenders. They go through a probationary period where they learn life skills. They learn job training skills. They do community service. And at the end of that probationary period, they're given a job and their felony records are wiped clean. Why would a prosecutor be doing something like that? Well, because what we know, right, is that when you get a felony conviction, you can no longer apply for a job. You can no longer apply for housing. You can't go back to school because you can't get any financial aid. And then what other recourse do you have but to go out doing what you were doing in the first place? Mm-hmm. So when you ask about a woman right now that I, I would I admire and have admired for a very long time, I would have to say it's Vice President Kamala Harris. And I completely agree with you. Uh, she's definitely a woman of influence and uh, she's continuing to make an impact, uh, you know, not just uh, here in this country, but even around the world. Guys, I know you are enjoying my interview with Baltimore City State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby. Uh, we're going to get back. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to jump back into my interview with this wonderful woman of influence. We'll be right back. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show.
You're listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show with Pastor Michael Nimmons. Don't you dare touch that dial. Author and activist, Brina Clark. We have a very long history of uh, prominent women, uh, courageous women, raising their voices to speak. Thinking out loud. Uh, to talk about the circumstances of African-Americans, of black people in this country. Uh, people like Anna Julia Cooper, who I've mentioned, Mary McLeod Bethune, many, many other women, Dorothy Height, uh, certainly Michelle Obama, a contemporary woman, and Stacey Abrams, also a contemporary woman. But many times our voices have been ignored. They've been disrespected. We've been talked over, and I think that's particularly true, as you'll remember, in the vice presidential debate, so much so that Vice President Harris had to insist, I'm speaking now. The, the interesting thing is, and we've been asked whether we took our title from that, we did not. We actually had been discussing that title prior to that, so we were very excited when she also said that. Because that's another way to interpret this. To say to those out here, don't speak for me and don't speak over me because I am speaking now. Join us each week as we celebrate Women's History Month here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Congratulations to Pastor Michael Nimmons for over 20,000 streams and downloads. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud radio show podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and MichaelNimmons.com. Tune in today. The Thinking Out Loud radio show giving voice to issues that matter to you. The people have spoken. From Minneapolis, Minnesota, to London, England, from New Zealand to New York City. Black Lives Matter and I Can't Breathe are the sentiment of people around the world. Dr. King was right. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We must do everything we can to continue to march, protest, and rally for justice. Let us march on until victory is won. An important message from the Thinking Out Loud radio show.
Don't, 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 don't touch that dial. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. All right, guys, we are back and I'm talking to a woman of influence, Baltimore City State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby. She's with us, our featured guest for Women's History Month. We have been chopping it up, talking about her career and what she has done. Uh, And uh, I'm just excited about her being with us on this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And I want to talk to you about your career as a attorney, a prosecuting attorney, uh, you have done some uh, some great things, some groundbreaking things, and want to jump into that in this uh, segment. You know, back in 2015, you were instrumental in charging uh, the six officers that were responsible for the death of Freddie Gray. Mm-hmm. Uh, he being just one of many lives that have been taken at the hands of the police. I want to know from you, how important is it for Congress to pass the Justice for George Floyd and Policing Act? It is incredibly important for Congress to to pass that legislation. Um, I can tell you, you know, I was four months into my first term as as the state's attorney for for Baltimore City and an innocent 25-year-old black man made eye contact with police in a high crime neighborhood, decided to run, and he was unconstitutionally arrested, placed into a metal wagon, head first, feet shackled and handcuffed defenseless inside of that metal wagon, where in the back of that wagon, his spine was severed and his pleas for medical attention were ignored. I followed the facts with the law and I wouldn't do anything differently. I charged six police officers that we deemed responsible and that a a grand jury found probable cause to believe that they had committed an act. And so, you know, what I wasn't aware of was that we were, I, I went into this to do the right thing. And justice, one standard of justice, regardless of race, sex, religion, occupation, is what my my task was and, and still is to this day. And so I was somewhat naive in, in thinking that it would be easy, right? Mm. Not understanding the blue wall of silence, not necessarily understanding how that the police department, when you investigate your own, that you're gonna, it, there's an inherent bias with that. You're not gonna ask the most pertinent questions. You know, I had people who were looking, lead detectives sabotaging the case. Um, and ultimately, although those individual officers weren't held individually and criminally responsible, what that sort of accountability did in this country, right? Before that, prosecutors, and police, that they were not charging police officers, especially for the death of black men, right? Still, some prosecutors don't. But that accountability led to exposure. A week after I charged those officers, the Department of Justice came in, exposed a the, the eighth largest police department in the country, exposed a pattern and practice of discriminatory enforcement against poor black and brown people in our city. That exposure led to reform. We now have a federally enforceable consent decree that even despite the Trump administration that tried to stop it is still on record. And because of that reform, we had a spotlight on the entrenched police corruption of one of the largest police agencies in the country. And so justice is always worth the price paid for its pursuit. And those individual officers weren't held individually and criminally responsible. But when you think about the changes that were implemented as a direct result of my decision to charge those officers, right? We have use of force and de-escalation policies that emphasize the sanctity of life, right? We have the, the 
affirmative obligation of a police officer to intervene when their fellow officers cross the line. We have cameras in every single one of the police vans, right? So we don't have to rely on circumstantial evidence. We had officers getting up on the stand and saying, I didn't, I didn't know about the general orders and the, and the protocols and the, the, the procedures. There's now software verification systems in place that in, ensures adherence to those procedures and those protocols. And so you, you think about that, and it's not just in the city of Baltimore, but now statewide. And we talked about this, not just in the city and in, in the state of Maryland, but we're talking about these issues nationwide. It had a greater sort of implication. I didn't understand it then, I understand it now, but in that moment, it sparked this police accountability reform. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I really see what you did uh, back in 2015 as you were a pioneer. You were you you were courageous, uh, in, you know, in your uh, in but your let stance. me tell you, it came with a lot, though. Let I know it did. Courage, I got courage, no, yeah, courage I got normally does threats. that. I got, you know, mm-hmm. uh, mocked, ridiculed. Right. You know, my children's photos were published. In, in the in the paper and on blogs, you know, to this very day, I'm, I, they've been coming for my law license. I've been investigated. I've been federally investigated. OIG. I mean, they've been it's it has been nonstop, nonstop, it's been right. nonstop since I made that decision. And so, you know, it, it does definitely come <laughs> with a great deal of backlash. But I also understand and recognize that, you know, it was the right thing to do. And it so absolutely was. as a prosecutor, that's your only mission. And that's what I emphasize to my, my baby prosecutors. You're coming in the door. Your only mission is to do the right thing, to look in the mirror every single day. There's not a lot of jobs where the only job that you have is to do the right thing. That's mm-hmm. what your job is. Justice over convictions. I don't, I don't care whether you're not, you get your conviction. Right? I need to know that you have considered all of the circumstances before you arrive at the decision that's going to affect not only the defendant, not only the victim, but has collateral consequences on our community. Absolutely. And I remember, uh, you know, I remember seeing you, uh, you know, when you announced those charges back in 2015, the amount you know, of a backlash you got, but the courage that it took uh, to stand at the podium and to and to charge those officers for the crimes that they committed against this this defenseless uh, young black man. And um, you sent a message. And I believe this message that you sent in 2015 has resonated uh, even in uh, even even to 2022, because you can see that uh, officers now are being convicted, they're being held accountable, um, even though we have not yet passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which I still believe is important to do. Um, we've made some um, you there, we, we, you've made some strides, I think, in the right direction. And, um, you know, uh, it 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 take it took a lot of courage, I'm sure, to get to that point. So, I, I mean, the one thing I can say is that it's very clear. We have one standard in the city of Baltimore. I've been in office for seven years. I'm, I'm going to be running again for reelection. And, and what I can tell you is that, you know, we've convicted 33 police officers since Freddie Gray. We mm. came out with a slate of police accountability reform proposals that have been adopted statewide, nationwide. Um, but what is really even more compelling, Michael, I just need you to know 
is that like last year, a report on police shootings concluded that each year, fewer than 3% of killings by police result in police officers being charged with a crime. Officers are disproportionately prosecuted, and get this, by black prosecutors, especially black women. Representing only 1% of the nation's elected prosecutors, black women were 9% of prosecutors who charged police officers for killing someone. 13% of prosecutors convicting officers and 20% of prosecutors charging officers in two or more deadly force incidents from 2013 to 2001. There's, there's a reason, right? Uh, yeah. Wow. That's some startling statistics that you just uh, that you just stated there. And again, you know, there's definitely more work to be done uh, when it comes to criminal justice reform and, and, and charging police and holding them accountable for uh, these, these acts of violence against the defenseless and innocent, you know, black and brown people. So, you know, again, I, I look back at 2015 and I, I, I still see a turning point um, and uh, we are we are um, even though we have a long ways to go uh, in in our pursuit of justice, uh, I think you're w- still one of those pioneers that uh, deserve kudos for the courage that you had uh, to, to 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 get that started back in. Well, in I don't in deserve kudos. I don't want any kudos. Right. I just want people to be cognizant of what that comes with. They recently federally indicted me over some craziness, right? (laughs) Over an individual who has political, you know, animus towards me, who Mm -hmm. was donating to my political opponents. Um, So, you know, to this day, people want me out because of that decision. And and, and I get it. You know, I've, I've been at the forefront of not just police accountability reform in this country, but at the forefront of like ensuring that we're ending the war on drugs, which we know based off of John Ehrlichman, that it was really a war on black people. Mm. I'm unapologetic about never being complicit in the discriminatory enforcement of laws against poor black and brown people. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm, I live in Baltimore. I live in West Baltimore, where the uprising took place. I, I, I tell people all the time, I don't have to turn on the news and open up the newspaper to see the violence plague in my community. All I have to do is open up my door. And so let me just be very clear. We're going to take a holistic approach. When you have a community like Baltimore, where 28% of Baltimore's population lives in poverty, 35% of children live below poverty. There are over 18,000 vacant houses, 16,000 vacant lots. The unemployment rate for young African-American men between the ages of 18 and 24, which is more than twice that of, of, of whites, right? Like, let's talk about these systemic issues as to why our city looks the way that it does. When we know, based off of John Ehrlichman, that they intended to criminalize black people in this country. And so the policies that I've arrived at, you know, through I have an awesome team that we've arrived at are based off of us not being and conforming and being complicit in that type of, of, of status quo discriminatory enforcement. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know you guys are enjoying my interview with Baltimore City State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby, I'm so excited to have her with us as our featured guest for Women's History Month. And, you know, um, she's definitely a woman of influence and making an impact uh, each and every day. And, you know, um, I want to talk to you about this. I want to transition a bit uh, to, um, you know, uh, from policing to voting, because I think that is uh, a critical 
uh, part of uh, the discussion. And I think they're 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 in sync or synonymous. They they they, they they go hand in hand with each other. You know, um, I I want to find out from you uh, during um, well, actually talking about the Voting Rights Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act that was passed in Congress, but it was uh, failed in the Senate. I want to find out from you, uh, Marilyn, who do you feel is ultimately responsible for the delay in the passage of this bill as, you know, uh, is it is it is it President Biden? Does he deserve some of that blame or is it just the Senate Republicans or, uh, you know, is there a party that 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 deserves you know, is it shared blame to go all all around? Because again, I feel like uh, the the right to vote is under attack, and something needs to be done about that. What What are your thoughts? I think it's disgusting all around. Let me just be very clear, right? Like, as a black woman in this country, who is the foundation of this nation, meaning we are the ones as black women that decide public policy, right. not just locally, not just statewide. But nationally, we've already right. proven this. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's disgusting. I, I think, you know, I think Democrats need to 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 boss up. <laughs> Let's just be real. Right. Like the Republicans have no problem if it's wrong, even if they morally don't even agree. They stick together in stick a way together. that, you know, they boss up every single time. And I'm not a Republican, so I can say whatever I want, you know. But they, their, their perception is totally different. I feel like we cower down as Democrats over and over and over again. And it's frustrating because it's, it's, it's a slap in the face to the foundation of the Democratic Party, which are Black women who ensure mm-hmm. every single time that we show up. And then we are, um, for lack of a better term, we are pooed upon every single time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it. But unfortunately, we need more people with backbones that are going to do what needs to be done to ensure that our fundamental right is guaranteed. And when you have individuals who are intentionally trying to suppress our vote because they understand the power of the people who are putting Democrats in position, but Democrats don't understand that, you know. That's I think that's problematic. I agree with you. And and this and and one person that you didn't mention, but I believe, you know, is it stands squarely in the in between both the bill, uh, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, as well as the John Lewis uh, voting rights, uh, voting rights bill that both failed in the Senate is our own president, Joe Biden. I really feel like he needs to go. He, he needs to be more uh, vocal. He needs to be more, um, you know, he, he needs to you, we're, if we're saying the Republicans stick together and and, and the racial. Right. <laughs> I mean, they, they don't they don't care if it's sexist, they're homophobic, racist, whatever. They're stick together. They that's stick my together. that's my guy. Right. We don't do that as a Democratic Party. We don't. That's problematic. It's it a divide is. and conquer mentality that the Republicans don't have. Uh, yeah. He, Democrats too. A- exactly. And they, you know, I, I I really feel like, you know, he's made some campaign promises that uh, he needs to hold, you know, hold uh, 
we, we need to hold him accountable to. I mean, one of which was this George Floyd police justice and policing act. Uh, he made, he's made a promise about voting rights. And I think, you know, sitting, having meetings with Republicans to, you know, the Republican leadership to try to come to some kind of compromise isn't going anywhere. So now he needs to take his fight to the American people because, you know, obviously it's not working. It's not just on him, right? Mm. Like we have, you know, we got to hold folks accountable and and that's including inclusive of the senators and congressmen who aren't, aren't bossing up. That's what I would say. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, What's both. Up? <laughs> Why not? Like, what do you think they would do on if the shoe was on the other foot? <laughs> they gonna get whatever they want, and they do. We just we cower. And yes. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not. I'm saying we because I'm in the Democratic Party, but like, it's it's frustrating. Yeah, their solidarity is incredible. I mean, they right. will they will stand on a lie. I mean, they, think about it. This this lie that Trump. <laughs> Imagine if that was Democrats that 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 it could uh, never be Democrats. It could never be Democrats. I mean, Republicans would have they would have had the, the they, they would have had every one of them responsible uh Brought, brought to justice by now, they would be in prison. It would be uh, countless numbers of trials and and all kinds of things that have happened would have would have happened that have not happened because it was a Republican. Including president. what they're attempting to do to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That wouldn't happen if I was nope. in a Republican party. It I would was. not be in the position that I'm in right now. No, just... you'd be you'd be covered, you'd be protected. <laughs> They'd be no, defending you. I'm on my you. own. I'm on my right. own. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> man! Black woman, you on your own. You on your own now. <laughs> That's so unfortunate. How dare you? You better go ahead. That is so unfortunate. Wow, we got to do better. We've got to do better. We've got to do better. Yeah, but that comes on us as a people. Like we got to ensure that we're putting the right people in positions that do have gall and do have a backbone to be able to boss up. Right. Right. I know you guys are enjoying my interview with Baltimore City State's Attorney, uh, my good friend, uh, Marilyn Mosby. So happy to have her uh, on this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And just just talking about this particular issue and what you just mentioned about we need to boss up. We need to we need to hold people accountable. Um, You know, my next question goes right into that. And I think. Uh, uh, it, it, you know, during President Joe Biden, we just got finished talking about him, his campaign for president. I wasn't talking about him. You were. <laughs> I, I, I was talking about him. He made a campaign promise to for president. He made a promise to nominate the first African-American woman to the Supreme Court. Now, he's already uh, it, he's already noted history remembers him or will remember him as the first president to ever select an African-American, Asian Pacific woman as his vice president. Uh, And now he's on the cusp of making history (laughs) again. I want you to talk to us about the significance of President Biden's Supreme Court nominee being not just a woman, but a black woman. So I think it's incredibly significant. I mean, as a black woman prosecutor in a major American city, I think what we saw with the election of Kamala Harris to vice president was an inspiration, right. not only to me, but to every and not just every black girl, but every every little girl in America. Right. Um, the first woman to be in this position uh, as a black woman, 
you know, in the Supreme Court, right? Like this is this is long overdue. And it will be similar, that same sort of spark for every black woman and every girl across the nation. There's symbolism in the importance of having the first African-American woman in the Supreme Court. It's reassuring that President Biden has recognized that black women have carried the Democratic Party on our backs nationally and locally for decades. And, and, and our work and our passion in, in many ways built the seats at the table. Let, right. let me be very clear about that, right? But more importantly, some of the most qualified candidates we have ever had are eligible for this, this nomination, and they are Black women. When we talk about, you know, Michelle Childs and Leandra Kruger and Katanji Brown-Jackson, they have like these stellar resumes, incredible experience and are the ideal fit for a job like this. Right. And so it's a huge step for our people overall, but for women and, and for people of color to see black women in these respected roles, it, it fills you with pride. It, I have two little girls, I, I, 11 and 13. And I, I can say, this is what you can become. You know, one of the most important sort of um, moments of my career was when I won and I beat the incumbent and I was in a community and this little eight-year-old girl walked up to me and she said, Marilyn Mosby, I voted for you. <laughs> and I looked at this baby and who clearly didn't vote, but somebody had explained that fundamental right to her. Right. And in that moment, she could see herself in me. That's what the importance of this role is for black women in this country. The foundation, one of the, the foundation of public policy in this nation. These little girls need to see themselves in a United States Supreme Court justice. I totally agree with you. And, you know, just thinking about the significance of this moment and, and even thinking about, you know, Kamala Harris not just being picked as a vice president or, or rather, uh, picked as a candidate for vice president, the first African-American woman, Asian Pacific woman uh, nominee, but then becoming the vice president of the United States. And then there was a little stint there, stint there where she was president when uh, when President yep. Biden was yep. was hospitalized. So yep. uh, she's continuing to make history. And so right. now uh, when black women have an opportunity to uh, sit in the highest court, in the seat in the highest court of the land. And again, that message, uh, I believe, will resonate uh, throughout uh, this country and even around the world uh, for young girls and young women uh, of color to see uh, someone, you know, that looks like them sitting in that seat. I know how significant it was to watch President uh, Barack Obama, well, uh, candidate Barack Obama become the president of the United States. My right. son was, I think he was like three years old. Uh, and we watched in my upstairs uh, uh, family room uh, when they made the announcement and, and he could barely say his name. And I was like, I can't believe that this is something that he'll remember for the rest of his life. As, a moment of pride. Yes, as, I was out there in that freezing weather. It was like, <laughs> I've never been cold like that in my life. <laughs> but it was like worth it. chilling cold. But me and my husband were out there. We were, we had to represent and you have a sense of pride 
that, you know, we're this, uh, I, I, you talk about, we were talking about black history. I had wrote an essay um, when I was in high school because I was co-editor of school newspaper. It was called and won an award. Um, black history is American history. Mm. That is American history. We are a part of the fabric of this nation. And so why wouldn't we be represented? These women are more than qualified. And that's one of the issues, you know, that we have in this country is and, and just for women, period. Right. Like we second guess ourselves when it comes to running for office, applying for promotions, you know, taking risks. Women often with these, the behavioral health folks, behavioral scientists say that we suffer from the a confidence gap. Right. Where we don't we don't take these promotions. We don't run for office. We don't take risks until we meet all the requisite criteria. While men, on the other hand, they do the same thing. They take the risk. They'll run for promotion. They'll run for office. They'll take a promotion. They do it when they only meet half. Mm. When you see these qualified, beautiful, brilliant, bold Black women, why wouldn't we want that sort of representation on the highest court of the land? Absolutely. I totally, totally agree with you. And, you know, just thinking about that and in our last conversation about Democrats, I'll say this before we get ready to go to break. It's the Democrats that make these these kinds these types of that's made these types of things possible. It was a Democrat that, uh, you know, the first black president of the United States. It was a Democratic Party that gave us the first uh, black uh, African-American and Asian Pacific uh, woman vice president of the United States. And so, you know, to their to, to the Democrats credit, we're looking at the future where, you know, on the other side of the aisle, they're not as uh, forward thinking as I would uh, as I would have hoped, you know, for for that party. But, um, you know, that that is something we'll say, even though we're, we, we're having problems with solidarity, uh, you know, in some respects, they're still forward thinking when it comes to making history and, and more uh, representative of what this nation really is. Right? Exactly. Which is why I'm a part of the Democratic Party because they are more representative of what we look like on a day-to-day basis and more inclusive, I would say, especially around our policies, uh, around their policies, um, and, and, and just the inclusion, the representation, which, which, which means a lot. Totally agree. Totally agree. I know you guys are enjoying my interview with Baltimore City State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby. We get ready to take uh, our last break. When we come back, we're going to jump right back into my interview with this woman of influence. It's Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. All right. Don't, 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 don't touch that dial. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. This is Michael Eric Dyson, and when I'm in Detroit, I listen to the Thinking Out Loud radio show, dropping that knowledge, giving that inspiration, giving us that enlightenment. Nobody does it like Brother Michael does it. Do your thing. Holla. Peace. The Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Vision. Vision. 
should be the next book you purchase. Written by radio host and minister Michael Nimitz. Vision is an insightful, thought-provoking book that is also a helpful tool in getting you to see your life through God's eyes. Vision Endorsed by best-selling authors Dr. Eddie Connor and Kim Brooks and mega-pastor Bishop Charles H. Ellis III. Vision is a life-changing book that you need in your personal library. Get your copy today. Available everywhere books are sold online or at michaelnimmons.com. Get your copy today. Vision Vision. Stay tuned for more motivation, more inspiration, and more empowerment on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked. Don't, 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 don't touch that dial. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. All right, guys, we are back, and I have been enjoying my conversation with this powerful woman of influence, the Baltimore City State's Attorney, Marilyn Mosby. We've been talking about a myriad of different topics and, uh, and issues that are affecting uh, Black people in this country. And again, I'm so very happy to have her with us on this week's edition as our featured guest for Women's History Month. And, you know, I want to talk to you about your career, and, and, and your tenure as uh, the state's attorney for Baltimore City and, and talk about some of the initiatives and the policies that you put in place to, um, you know, to, to improve uh, the city of Baltimore and again, effectuate the change that you saw when you ran for this office as state attor- state's attorney for Baltimore City. So I, I'm honored, right? Like I, I feel honored and blessed to be in the position that I'm in. I told you one of the most important stakeholders in the criminal justice system is a prosecutor. And right. so I, I've understood that in ways in which I'm going to utilize my discretion to ensure that we're reducing and, and ending mass incarceration and we're ensuring racial equity within the criminal justice system. And so, you know, very from the outset, I, you know, I, I created um uh, the state, my, Maryland, and the irony of all of this is right. Like when you look at a state like Maryland, where Black people make up thirty percent of the state population, but about seventy percent of the prison population, we incarcerate more Black people in the state of Maryland than any other state in the entire country. And so, when you see that disproportionate sort of impact, one of the things that I recognized very early on is that you know we have a system based off of all of the issues that we've identified that has disproportionately impacted Black people in this country and in a way in which it's, 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 it's blatant, it's, it's, it's apparent. And so I, I started one of the, my first year in office, I started the first conviction integrity unit in the entire state of Maryland where we have um, investigate claims of actual innocence. And since the start of my administration, we have exonerated 12 innocent black men um, who have cumulatively served 300 years in prison for crimes they did not commit. We started a program to allow um, those black men and these men to reacclimate into society. Um, it's called Resurrection After Exoneration, where we partner with the University of Maryland and we pr- uh, try to 
ensure, you know, identification and job skills and, you know, housing and life skills that these men have been robbed of. Um, and it's, 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 it's crazy that you can even imagine that, that somebody could serve 36 years in prison for crimes they didn't commit, but it happens every single day. Um, and now these units are being replicated all throughout the state of Maryland. We have, we have done a number of policies that actually impact poor black and brown people every single day. You know, in 2019, I was one of the first prosecutors in the country um, to say we're not prosecuting marijuana possession. Why? Because we know that if you're, uh, there's no disparate use of marijuana, right? When it comes to white and black people, it's the same. But nationwide, if you're a black person, you're four times more likely to be arrested for mere possession of marijuana. But in the city of Baltimore, you are six times more likely to be arrested for mere possession of, of marijuana. And even after we decriminalize marijuana with 10 grams or less, where the police were responsible for issuing citations, 42% of the citations that they were issuing went to one out of nine police districts, which happened to be 95% black and disproportionately impoverished. Mm. And so what I've, I've been very clear about is that I will never be complicit in the discriminatory enforcement of laws against poor black and brown people. There's no public safety value. It's counterproductive. When you look at our city where, you know, we have 300 homicides a year, we should be focusing our time, our resources, our attention on violent offenses. Right. And we're not going, we're not going to, I'm not for the discriminatory enforcement. I had the awesome opportunity of testifying in Congress on the legalization of marijuana and the Moore Act. And then more recently, we came out um, in 2021 and I made permanent, you know, this war on drugs in the city of Baltimore is over because we knew and we know now that it was really a war on black people. And so we stopped prosecuting minor offenses that have nothing to do with public safety, like trespassing, like Rogan vagabond, like, you know, drug possession, like treat drug possession as the public health crisis that you treat it in in the suburbs. Right. Mm. We're going to do that in the city of Baltimore. Right. And we stopped prosecuting sex work in the city of Baltimore. And we did this permanently. And it was based off of data. Right. It was based off Johns Hopkins, the best and the brightest in the world, have come out and supported the policies and have basically said the target population that we were we were focusing on is not recidivating, meaning they're not committing other offenses. It's a less than one percent recidivism rate. And so and you've averted 80 percent of the arrests that you averted. were going to be black people. Mm. And so when you think about that. That is why, you know, I continue to be the target of attacks and, you know, the target of conservative (laughs) ire. Um, But it's greater than me. And so, you know, I I, I think that my team, we have a legacy that we we will leave. um, And that's ensuring racial equity and, and ensuring equity in the criminal justice system overall. That is amazing. And, you know, just listening to, you know, all of the things that you, you know, have accomplished and, and, the, and the policies that you put in place um, it is, it's, it really, um, you know, uh, opens up my understanding to, you know, what, 
what you do as a as a as a state's attorney, but even more so to you know what goes along with with the job and um, and how impactful you have been in the lives of those who live in Baltimore City. It's amazing, and and black and brown people in that city. It's amazing the things that you're doing, um, I, and I also understand why you know you're you, you're you're being attacked uh, because it takes courage to do the kinds of things that you're doing um, to encourage uh, your money because they're trying to bankrupt me. They are. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. And, and 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 you said something I think was was important that you 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 said you didn't want to be complicit. In, uh, in, in the 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 in systematic racism, you didn't want to be you 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 didn't want to be a party to to what was you know uh, systematic racism and the and and that pipeline to prison that our black men and uh, are are consistently on and a part of. And uh, I applaud you for you know those efforts because you don't find that you don't hear that. Uh, often talked about. Uh, it is something that is talked about, you know, in small groups. It's not something that's talked about, you know, uh, in, in the public sphere. Uh, organizations are working to try to uh, end the pipeline of prison for uh, black and brown uh, men. But to see that happening uh, at, and, and your, at your level, in your position, I think is, is admirable. And, um, you know, uh, it, it, I, I'm sure you have thick skin. That's another thing I thought about. I mean, well. I had to learn to grow thick skin. Let me just be very clear. And I, I also want to just recognize, like, it's not about me. It's about, I have awesome, brilliant people that I surround have a good myself team, right? with, yep. right? Like that mm -hmm. are developing policies and work groups and ensuring that we know the best and the brightest. You know, one of the things that I did when I first took office is I traveled all across the country to different district attorney's offices to see what best practices we can employ in Baltimore City. I now have a strategic policy and planning director that does that for me. Right. Mm. And so, you know, when it comes to breaking the school to prison pipeline, we've touched more than 7000 young people in the city of Baltimore, either through my junior state's attorney program, where they learn how to be judges and prosecutors and police through a six week program where we pay them. And, and, the, and the culmination of the event is a mock trial competition at the University of Baltimore School of Law or whether it's through my pop-up programs where, you know, on Friday nights, when we know there's a, a drastic increase in violence, we're trying to make sure that our young people are productive, right? Um, or whether it's through my Great Expectations program where we go into the schools, just like Officer Friendly, just like my grandfather. And I, I'll bring it back where, you know, you had a rapport with, 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 with law enforcement. We go into the schools, we've touched more than 300 young people, just fourth and fifth graders, exposing them to the positive careers in the criminal justice system. And I tell you that I'm going to bring it full circle is right. Like I came from a police family. Right. And I didn't appreciate. I never appreciated that young man that used to call me cuz. And I was like, who are you? Who? I don't know you. Right. Until I was in a coffee shop right here in Baltimore. And. Um, it was shortly after I won and my grandfather had just passed away. And this man walked up to me and said, hey, are you Marilyn Mosby? I said, I am. He said, I just want to thank you. 
I said, thank me for what? He said, I want to thank you for Mr. T. Mr. T was my grandfather. He said, I want to thank you for Mr. T because I would not be the man that I am today if it wasn't for your grandfather. I didn't have a father. Your grandfather was that for me. Wow. He did everything that he could to put me on the right trajectory. And I'm now doing something with my life because of him. And so all those times when I'm in the police house, right, where you had the neighbors from the bad kids from across the street that were trying to act like cuz, 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 I don't know you. I didn't understood the impact at the moment, right, that my family and that example and that representation, my grandfather epitomized what police officers in this country should be. Should be. That community police officer. That is the example for his community. And when he could, he stepped up in major ways for those that did not have what he represented. And so, you know, full circle. And that's what we and and, and that's the kind of examples that we need more of in this in this society, in this world, this country. We need more of that. You know, it seems like we've gotten off track some kind of way. And, um, you know, it's refreshing to hear you put that full circle spin on it, you know, and it looks like that's what you're trying to do in Baltimore Absolutely. City. That's what I'm, I'm trying to do. You know, I think that like um, and, and, you know, we're talking about black people. It's, you, we just got out of Black History Month. Like we've lost our sense of community. Right. In a way in which has been detrimental to our communities throughout this nation. Right. Like we turn a blind eye to the child whose mother is addicted to drugs, whose father is in prison, who has succumbed to this racial (laughs) systemic sort of like discrepancies and disproportionality of the criminal justice system. We've turned a blind eye. And what do you think is going to happen to that little kid that is now in survival mode? Mm hmm. That that little kid is going to try to survive and they have no conscience. They have no ethics. They'll kill your mother, your grandmother, your sister, your brother. And I'm then charged with prosecuting a 14 year old for murder, for shooting Mm. somebody in the head or killing somebody in a church. Right. Like it's it's just like we've lost our sense of community and we have to somehow. And I know we talked about the Democratic Party, but like as the black community. We gotta figure this out. We do. Because in other communities, just like the Republican Party, they gotta figure it out. Yeah. Don't. You're absolutely right. You know, we 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 use this quote all of the time. It takes a village to raise a child, and it's a black proverb, but you know, we've lost that sense of community. That's not our mentality. That's anymore. not our mentality anymore. We're, we're so self-absorbed. As long as it doesn't impact our direct immediate family, we good. Yeah. But then when it does direct directly affect, then you want to no. know. Mm-hmm. You gotta understand you've been out of it, right? Like right. you've been totally <laughs> out of it. Totally. Totally. And now because it's impacted you, it's it's a problem it's it's a, it's an issue like from a, a just a community sense and we got to figure that out we got to figure that out not just in the city of baltimore but nationwide as a black community we have to find a way to find so- solidarity 
and unity and to create that village so that we're not the ones at the bottom of the totem pole. Mm. That's so true. That is so true. You know, I know you guys have enjoyed my interview with this powerful woman of purpose and influence, my good friend, state's attorney for the for Baltimore City, uh, Marilyn Mosby. Before I let you go, though, I mean, I have enjoyed this conversation immensely. We want to find out from you because, you know, you are doing a phenomenal job as the state's attorney for Baltimore City. But what are your you know, long-term career goals and aspirations as a political figure, because I, I, I see you, you know, much bigger than, uh, you know, the attorney for, for Baltimore City. I think I see you in, in, a, in a much bigger, bigger light as the 25th state's attorney. Do you see yourself uh, on the Supreme Court or maybe somewhere close by? I don't know, maybe, maybe Congress, maybe Senate, maybe the White House, who knows? <laughs> so let me be very clear. I don't have an end game. Right. Like I came into this. I told you my story. I wanted to reform the criminal justice system and I'm blessed to be able to have somewhat of an impact on it, Um, not just citywide, statewide, but nationwide. And so I'm grateful. um, But I also don't want us to lose sight of the larger sort of point. Right. I, I, I want us to understand and to recognize that. I'm being attacked. And and the reason why is because people are fearful Mm. of what is next for me, (laughs) right? Like I'm not fooled by that. I I understand the power of the people that support me. Um, The people that are against me understand the power of the people that support me Mm. and they don't want me to ascend to another position. And Honestly, my focus right now is we have so much more work to do. I feel like Baltimore has a unique opportunity to be a model for the rest of the country. Scotland is modeling our policies in Baltimore City. London has reached out and is attempting to model our policies in Baltimore City. I had the awesome opportunity of presenting on 21st century prosecution models in Kenya They want to model our policies in Baltimore City. So we have so much more work to do. And I went into this impassioned about reforming the criminal justice system. I'm still impassioned about reforming the criminal justice system. So that's where my focus is. I I just want people to understand that I am four months from my election, right? They, I have a prosecutor with political animus who's, who's, who's attempting, who indicted me, is attempting to try me right, for, for, for accessing my own retirement savings. And so I just want people to be very clear about the animus and the motive for the attacks. They don't want me in a position. And so my only request is to ensure that they, the keepers of the status quo, don't win. Mm. Because my mission in life is to ensure that they don't. Well, guys, there you have it. There you have it. I am, again, so very honored and humbled to have had this woman of influence, state's attorney for Baltimore City, Marilyn Mosby, with us on this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thank you so, so very much. I've enjoyed my conversation immensely, and we wish you nothing but success in all that you do. We're behind you 200 percent. All right, well, go to MarilynMosby.com and donate. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
absolutely, guys. If you're Thank if you're you. watching or you're listening uh, to the podcast, make sure you do that. MarilynMosby.com. Yep. MarilynMosby.com and make a donation to her campaign. We're supporting her 200 percent. And we thank you so much for being a part of this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. May God continue to bless you. Thank you, Michael. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio. You're listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show with Pastor Michael Nimmons. Don't you dare touch that dial. State's Attorney, Marilyn Mosby. And so, justice is always worth the price paid for its pursuit. Thinking out loud. And those individual officers weren't held individually and criminally responsible. But when you think about the changes that were implemented as a direct result of my decision to charge those officers, right? We have use of force and de-escalation policies that emphasize the sanctity of life, right? We have the the affirmative obligation of a police officer to intervene when their fellow officers cross the line. We have cameras in every single one of the police vans, right? So we don't have to rely on circumstantial evidence. We had officers getting up on the stand and saying, I didn't I didn't know about the general orders and the, and the protocols and the, the, the procedures. There's now software verification systems in place that it ensures adherence to those procedures and those protocols. And so you, you think about that, and it's not just in the city of Baltimore, but now statewide. And we've talked about this, not just in the city and in, in the state of Maryland, but we're talking about these issues nationwide. It had a greater sort of implication. I didn't understand it then. I understand it now. But in that moment, it sparked this police accountability report. Join us each week as we celebrate Women's History Month right here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were insufficient? Who told you that you were a loser? Who told you that you were a failure? Who told you that you were deficient? Who told you that you were nothing? Who told you that you were worthless? Who told you that you had no value? Who told you that you to believe. Who Told You That You Were Naked is a dynamic, empowering, and inspiring book about identity that is a definite must-have. Pastor Nimmons talks about an identity crisis that dates as far back as the Garden of Eden. You don't want to miss these powerful insights into not just the problem of this identity crisis, but the discovery of the spiritual solution. Get your copy now, available on Amazon for just $14.95 or by visiting michaelnemons.com. Like a victim when you are already victorious. What's cracking Planet Earth? It's your boy Griff, comedian, author, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, philanthropist, but a Jesus Christ lover. You understand me? And you're listening to Thinking Out Loud Radio with my homeboy, Michael Nemitz. 
check him out right here. Go ahead, Mike. Give him that good, good. The Thinking Out Loud radio show. Giving voice to issues that matter to you. of the week is entitled am i my brother's keeper an internal question that cain posed to god the creator of the ends of the earth when asked of the whereabouts of his brother abel cain knowing he had murdered his own brother but instead of coming clean to god became defiant using this question as some kind of implicit justification for his blatant disobedience the irony behind this question is that it is as relevant today as it was thousands of years ago. Even though it was asked by someone who was the poorest example of what a brother E is and quite honestly couldn't care less about the whereabouts of his own brother. This question is being asked even today as we speak in this city, this state, this country and even around the world. This question is being asked as African Americans in our inner cities inflict undue harm upon one another. It's being asked by community leaders of police who are duty bound to protect and serve but instead intimidate, abuse and even murder black and brown people in this country. Today, we're being asked this question internationally as Russian superpower and Russian dictator Vladimir Putin is imposing his will on the country of Ukraine by invading its borders with the sole purpose of overthrowing this sovereign government. It is quite troubling to watch the Ukrainian people scrambling to save themselves amidst massive explosions and gunfire from the Russian military dead set on destroying this country without provocation. Ukrainian people just want to be free like the rest of the modern world. They want to live peaceably as a sovereign nation without any infringements or impediments from another foreign power. However, Russia wants to exact its will against this free people. Vladimir Putin wants nothing more than to exert his control and power over this free people. My heart goes out to the families of the Ukrainian people, families that have been displaced, families that are fleeing the arbitrary destruction of their own country by this Russian oligarch. Countless lives lost, homes damaged and destroyed, Ukrainians' lives changed forever because of the senselessness of one man. We weep with the families of those that have been lost. We mourn with the country of Ukraine as they attempt to save their country against this foreign dictator. John Don the poet was right. No man is an island entire of himself. Every man is a part of the continent, a part of the main. When a man dies, it diminishes me for I am involved in mankind. Therefore, never sin to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. The world weeps in solidarity with Ukraine because they are indeed a part of our collective humanity. And when one Ukrainian dies, it affects the entire world. Dr. King said it best, we are all tied in a single garment of destiny. And what affects one directly affects us all indirectly. Today, we ask the internal question, am I my brother's keeper? 
We might speak different languages, but we're saying the same thing. We just want to be free. Am I my brother's keeper? We might be thousands of miles away, but we are all from the same place. A place of inequality and injustice. Am I my brother's keeper? We might be a different ethnicity, but we all breathe the same air and want the same things. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Am I my brother's keeper? We might be from different backgrounds, but we are all God's children. And when one of his children is lost, or when one of his sheep is lost, the whole flock is at risk. When one of the sheep goes missing, the shepherd spends every waking moment looking for that lost sheep to reunite it to the fold. We know things may look bleak right now, but it never gets too dark for God's watchful eyes to see the fate of his people. It might look like destruction is around the corner and the end is imminent. It might look like the enemy is closing in for the kill, but just remember God has got the last say. There's no superpower that can surpass his power. There's no leader statue bigger than he is. There's no country's wealth greater than he is. There's no government's might stronger than he is. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the Alpha and indeed the Omega. He's the great I am. He's the stone hewn out of the mountain. He is the way out of no way. He's the wheel in the middle of a wheel. He was Moses' rod. He was David's slingshot. He was Harriet's bulldog tenacity. He was Sojourner's truth. He was Frederick's freedom. He was Martin's king. He is Ukrainian savior. And he's my everything. He's you. Today we ask the internal question, am I my brother's keeper? We might speak different languages, but we're all saying the same thing. We just want to be free. Am I my brother's keeper? We might be thousands of miles away, but we're all from the same place. Am I my brother's keeper? We might be a different ethnicity, but we all breathe the same air and want the same things. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Am I my brother's keeper? We might be from different backgrounds, but we all are God's children. And when one of his sheep is lost, the whole flock is at risk. When one of the sheep goes missing, the shepherd spends every waking moment looking for that lost sheep to reunite to the fold. We know things may look bleak right now, but it never gets too dark for God's watchful eye to see the fate of his people. It might look like destruction is around the corner and the end is imminent. It might look like the enemy is closing in for the kill. But just remember, God has got the last say. There's no superpower that can surpass his power. There's no leader statue bigger than he is. There's no country's wealth greater than he is. There's no government's might stronger than he is. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the alpha and indeed the omega. He is the great I am. He's the stone hewn out of the mountain. He is the way out of no way. He is the wheel in the middle of a wheel. He was Moses' rod. He was David's slingshot. He was Harriet's bulldog tenacity. He was Sojourner's truth. He was Frederick's freedom. He was Martin's king. He's Ukraine's savior. And he is my everything.
hope you enjoyed this week's starting title, Am I My Brother's Keeper? We are indeed our brother's keeper. Dr. King was right. What affects one directly affects us all indirectly. And our heartfelt thoughts and prayers go out to the families of the Ukrainian people that are engaged in this senseless and unjust war. But just remember, we believe that God is in control. Send a special shout out and special thanks to State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby of Baltimore City for being with us on this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show, our Women of Influence series. Thank you so much, Attorney Mosby, for kicking off this Women of Influence series for the for Women's History Month. We certainly appreciate you and your time. And we wish you nothing but success in your re-election bid. We know God is certainly with you. And we look forward again to having you right here with us on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And thank you for tuning in to this week's Woman of Influence series right here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Your support helps us to increase our exposure across the world wide web. Thank you so much for your support of us. Remember to follow us on social media at TOL Radio Host MSN or the TOL Radio Show on Instagram and on Twitter. We appreciate it. Also, stop by our Facebook fan page at Facebook.com forward slash Thinking Out Loud HQ. We appreciate each and every one of you. Stay tuned next week, guys. We're going to be continuing our Women of Influence series with CEO Teresa Lundy. She is another woman of influence that we were able to interview, uh, and we're so excited to have her as a part of next week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We can't wait to share this awesome interview with you. Well, guys, we're getting ready to get out of here. But before we do it, always remember, if you think it, you can believe it. If you can believe it, you can see it. If you can see it, you can be it. If you can be it, you can achieve it. The power rests within you. The mind is the most powerful muscle in your body. Use what you got to get what you want. The power is in you. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. To get more info about the show and the ministry, visit michaelnemons.com. Want to book radio host Michael Nemons for your next special event? Send an email to contact at michaelnemons.com. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 p.m. for the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Giving voice to issues that matter to you.